the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Situation Report today. Very glad to have you joining this conversation. Excited about our interview, and I trust that it will be a help to you. This is the show where we do our best every single episode to bring you the perspectives and information you need to navigate an ever-changing culture. Culture is changing all of the time around us. We look at the physical world around us and it is changing. There are wars taking place. There are things happening. We're dealing with uh, shortages and inflation. (laughs) All of these things are happening in the physical world. But then there is the technological world and that's changing all the time as well. We've discussed many of the social media platforms and Uh, some of the issues around technology on this show before. And today we have the opportunity to speak uh, really to the guy who is the expert. Jason Miller is going to be with us in just a few minutes. And uh, Jason, if you're not familiar, is the CEO of Getter, which is, uh, again, an alternate platform to Facebook and Twitter. It operates very much like Twitter and uh, fantastic features and a great interview. Uh, Before we get there, though, this is, again, one of those conversations that must be had and I believe must be had regularly because the landscape is changing so much, (laughs) so often. It happens so fast. If you're like me in your mid-40s, then it's changing around you and you're just asking what happened all the time, trying to figure new stuff out. It's nearly impossible. If you're a little bit younger, maybe it's more intuitive. If you're older, perhaps you've just said, forget it. Uh, This is where I am. You've picked your platform and that's where you're staying. And uh, I know many people are that way. But the landscape is changing. Not only is the landscape of features changing. That's one thing. Technology changes, features change. The way we interact with that technology will also change. These things are happening. And and this is not unlike so many of the other products that we are able to purchase and able to uh, pull into our home and into our home environments. We choose things because of their features. Some of the social media platforms are that way. But this is more than that. This is more than simply a discussion about features. This is an ideological discussion. This is really an understanding of what the Constitution protects for you and me as American citizens. Do we believe in the protection of our free speech? Do we have the opportunity, at least as it is set up for us through technology in the technological public square, do we have the opportunity to freely express our ideas, to freely express what we think, our opinions, how we feel? Or do we not? (laughs) Is there a middle area, a gray section, where some moderation of these ideas is good and too much moderation is bad? Should we have the opportunity on our own platforms, if we manage Facebook or manage Twitter or manage Getter, should we have the opportunity, because we manage those platforms, to choose who is able to participate and who is not? You see, when we talk about the landscape of technology changing, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about our opportunity as citizens to exercise our freedom of speech. 
in this interview that you'll hear in just a moment, uh, Jason talked for just a few minutes about Section 230 that really protects the producers of what we see on these platforms, the managers, the owners of these platforms. Uh, We could talk all day about that. We've had other episodes on where we have talked specifically about Section 230 and what that looks like. But this is a huge area of concern, and it's a huge area of concern for this reason. Because Facebook and Twitter were the early social media platforms, many, many, many people found themselves on those platforms. Many of those people found themselves there not for political discourse, but because they wanted to share information and share ideas and share what was happening in their day. They wanted to connect with friends and family, and so many of us have been able to do that and even connect with friends from the past. It makes the big world much, much smaller. But over the course of time, as politics have evolved into conversations on these platforms, the managers of those platforms have decided who would have a voice and who would not. And this is the discussion. This is not simply a product that we purchase. It's a place that we meet. We could look at Facebook and Twitter and some of these other platforms as a city park. It's a place where the community comes together to exchange ideas, to participate with one another, even to uh, share uh, what's happened in their lives and get together for uh, maybe a meeting, a party. We see those things happen in public parks around us where families get together and friends get together and things happen. That's what these platforms have become. So imagine, if you will, that City officials came to that park and decided who was allowed to stay and who was not, who could be there and who could not, based on their political ideology. Not because they were causing harm, but because they were exercising their First Amendment right of freedom of speech. That's what's happened on these platforms. Because it's the biggest park in the city, if you will. Most people have decided they would congregate there because they were first. (laughs) And now... The officials have shown up and said, well, you don't fit. You don't belong. Your voice should not be heard, but theirs can. Particular to Twitter, we see that many very conservative voices have been not only censored, but removed. Where many, many other far more dangerous voices and examples could be found and given are allowed to remain. Because they don't, even though they may be dangerous, they don't buck the left's ideological stream of thought and speech. So we're in this place and in this time where, thankfully, technology is not controlled by simply those in the Silicon Valley of California. Technology and the ability to build technology has been diversified so much that many folks can create apps and create uh, other very useful tools from their phone. And so we're seeing this, not a reformation of the products that exist in some of these social media platforms, but a complete recreation to give those who have been canceled or those who don't feel as though their voice can be heard a place where that can happen. We've seen a proliferation of these platforms. We've talked about them on this show in the past. Uh, We've seen a number of platforms come along. And today we're going to talk about one specific one, Getter. Getter is an interesting platform because it is building out the features that are found in other platforms that hopefully, at least that's the plan, will bring a diversity of individuals onto the platform. 
so that instead of creating this echo chamber where only those who think alike are living, it creates a space where people from different generations and different backgrounds are able, although they may align ideologically, they're able to discuss and share ideas. This is a very helpful principle. One of the questions I've had over the last couple of years as this has begun to happen, these new platforms has developed, is where exactly should people like me be? Should we simply abandon hope from some of the other platforms and find ourselves on a new one? What exactly should we do? We talk about that with Jason as well in this episode. If you're struggling through this, trying to figure this out, maybe you don't care because you simply want to share pictures of what happened at your family birthday party. (laughs) That's okay. Stay where you are. But if you have the desire to share what you believe from a political perspective, even from a faith perspective, and you don't want to be censored for your thoughts and for your words, then this will be an encouraging, hopeful conversation for you. Jason Miller, again, is the CEO of Getter and a very, very busy person. He travels all over the world uh, discussing free speech and these ideas that we'll discuss today. And I'm so thankful that he would take a few minutes to be with us. And I trust that this will be a conversation that will be helpful to you. Mike Lindell has a passion to help everyone get the best sleep of their lives. He created the Giza Dream bed sheets. They look and feel great, which means an even better night's sleep for you and me. Mike found the world's best cotton called Giza. Mike's latest incredible deal is the sale of the year. Sale of the year. That means it's not going to happen again. This is the sale of the year. What is it? For a limited time, you will receive 60% off the Giza Dream Sheets that comes with a 60-day money-back guarantee and a 10-year warranty. You will receive a set for as low as $39.99. For a limited time, with any purchase, you will receive Mike's soft cover book free when you use promo code SITREP. Go to MyPillow.com and click on the radio listener square and use promo code SITREP. Along with this offer, you will also get deep discounts on all MyPillow products, including the MyPillow mattress topper, MyPillow towel sets, and so much more. For those of you that would rather use the phone, and some of you are out there, you know who you are, call 1-800-870-0283, use the promo code SITREP, or MyPillow.com and use the promo code SITREP. My guest today is Jason Miller. Jason is the CEO of Getter, the marketplace of ideas. We've talked about Getter in the past and are really excited to have Jason with us. He is a former senior advisor to President Donald J. Trump. Thank you, Jason, for joining us. Really honored to have you. Hey, thank you so much for having me. This is, uh, this is a conversation around social media and communication and the media in general that we've, we've been having. It's very difficult to understand, and uh, you speak so clearly on this, so I appreciate you coming on and spending a few minutes with us. Before we jump into that conversation, though, I, I would love to get a little of your background. I mean, we have your bio information, but how does one get into the world that you are currently involved in, from uh, being an advisor to a president to doing what you're doing now? 
Well, that's a great question. So in 2020, it had a front row seat for the, what I would say is the worst year for political discrimination in Mm. U.S. history. And it's not purely just the Hunter Biden laptop, which obviously that's a big component of it. It's not even simply uh, that President Trump was deplatformed from all social media. That was obviously huge as well in the first week, technically the first week of 2021. If you go back to early in January, February, and March of 2020, there was rampant political discrimination when it came to people calling out the origins of COVID mm-hmm. and simply saying that uh, that the virus came from a lab in Wuhan could get you sentenced to digital jail. And now I don't know if it was man-made in a lab or if it was traipsed out by uh, some sloppy mm-hmm. worker, but I think it's universally understood that the lab in Wuhan had some connection to it and we shouldn't be falling on the sword to try to protect the CCP. So as I started doing more research, what I found is that this issue of political discrimination from the big tech social media oligarchs wasn't just limited to the United States. And in some places, it's aggressive governments uh, that are using the guise of COVID uh, to, and the efforts to stamp out quote unquote misinformation is their excuse to limit free speech rights. In other places, it's big tech, say, for example, in India, uh, where they're suppressing the uh, any ability to express Hindu nationalism uh, among some of our friends there in India. And so really seeing where winners and losers are being picked by these social media platforms. And I thought that was wrong. And I thought something had to be done. I want to ask you about uh, the idea of what I, what I phrase reformation versus recreation. So we're in this this space of social media that is really recreation. We're, we're beyond reformation. Um, but before that, how would you describe your goals with Getter? So you described what got you there, something needs to be done. Um, going in, what was your working mission statement, if you will? What do you hope to accomplish through this platform? Absolutely. So what we want to do is create an all-in-one free speech platform that provides a safe space for political debate and thought that is cancel-free. And this means that as we look toward elections, whether it be in the U.S. this year, obviously there are Brazil, Colombia, uh, France is having the first round of their presidential election Mm. this coming Sunday, for example. We want to make sure that there's always a place for free speech surrounding political thought. And but even beyond that, that we want to make sure that our rights as a society, not just the United States, but around the world, our rights to self-expression, to uh, uh, self-economic destiny, that these are all protected. And so what we do is obviously right now we have uh, what's effectively our microblogging tool, kind of our timeline, our scroll. Uh, We're in the beta testing phase for Getter Visions, uh, which is our short video clip Mm -hmm. format that rivals TikTok and Instagram Reels. And then where we go this summer when we introduce Getter Pay in a two-coin crypto ecosystem, there'll be a payment platform that allows people to really uh, control their own economic destiny, especially as we see uh, skyrocketing interest rates, as we see banks start to clench up and be willing to lend less money, that there are different peer-to-peer and decentralized finance ways uh, to interact with some of your neighbors digitally yeah. online. So the world of self-control and decentralization is ahead of us, and we think that we're perfectly positioned to bring that to people. In November of 2020, the Democrats were up to no good. They were planning to pull off the greatest scheme of election fraud never before seen. They didn't think we would catch them, but we did. Find out what they did and how they did it in the new documentary film called 2000 Mules, directed and narrated by renowned filmmaker Dinesh D'Souza and executive produced by Salem Media Group. 
with research from truethevote.org. 2,000 Mules tells the story of the ones who tried to hijack a presidential election. You'll see the actual video surveillance tapes. You'll see how we tracked their cell phones to box after box as they got paid to carry out this illegal scheme. Watch the movie and decide for yourself. Attend a limited release premiere of 2,000 Mules on May 2nd or May 4th. Check your local listings and get your tickets today at 2000mules.com. That's the number 2000mules.com. Uh, one of the, the tenets of Getter, obviously, is free speech and a lack of censorship. Uh, but I think we would all agree that some degree of moderation, <laughs> we won't call it censorship, but moderation has to happen on every platform or else you end up with every crazy thing in the world. How do you, how do you toe that line between Twitter is censoring, YouTube, Facebook, they censor, and there is reasonable moderation. How do you look at that? How do you view that? How do you explain that? Great question, because we do have what we call a smart and proactive, and I'd even say a robust moderation system, where we make sure that we work with local country laws and authorities uh, to make sure that illegal postings are not permitted. So things such as threatening physical harm of somebody or mm. doxing personal information, trafficking in inappropriate photos, ISIS beheading videos, things of that nature. Yeah. So of course we're going to keep that out, but we are governed by an ideological North Star. And that is, how are we protecting free speech? Or are we protecting free speech with what we're doing? And so, whereas I, I think that Twitter and Facebook and the Silicon Valley platforms look on how do we go and, and stop the other side from expressing themselves? Yeah, right. And, or if we don't like it, how do we go and justify its removal? Whereas we're looking always from the aspect of we believe in free speech, we oppose cancel culture, we oppose political discrimination. That's always paramount over anything else that we're doing. Yeah. And so, they're always going to be situations where it's a, it's a close call either way, but we're always guided by that overarching principle. How do you, as the CEO of a company like Getter, make sure that your employees allow themselves to be guided by that North Star? It seems that at Twitter, at least, maybe even Instagram, Facebook, that it's, it's individual employees who are making these censorship decisions, which is why we often see them reversed. It's not the company at large, it's individual employees. How do you maintain that culture within Getter that says we're always going to be guided by this North Star of free speech? That's a great question. Uh, we have two litmus test questions in our interview process that we really tried to live by. And look, I could care less if someone's a Republican, if they're a Democrat, sure. if they're left of center, if they're right of center. But here are the two things we ask people to believe in. Number one, do you support free speech? Mm. And number two, do you oppose cancel culture? It's pretty straightforward. Sure. And if you believe in those principles and you're willing to work within the system and, and abide by those two principles, you're going to fit in great here. And through all aspects of moderation, uh, we have uh, aspects of spot checking and going back through, obviously, for our full-time moderators, uh, we have a pretty extensive uh, training to get them up to speed. We do pretty yeah. extensive background checks because uh, there are literally dozens, if not hundreds, uh, on any given day of people working with our moderation. Uh, but we go through and, and really make sure that there's no ideological bias uh, in someone's background, make sure they, too, adhere to the principles of free speech and opposing cancel culture. Does that mean we're going to get it right every single time? No, but I think I make it pretty clear from the top down that this is the direction we're going to go. And if you want to be here, you need to support free speech. Yeah, that's good. Um, this, is, uh, this is the issue that I think I have personally struggled with the most when 
you know, as I've seen the, the proliferation of new platforms, we're in a, a great time. Um, I, I, I personally believe that one of the reasons we have hope is because of all of the new platforms, because uh, young people can create whatever they want basically on their phone. I mean, this is a good time technologically, I think, to be alive, and we're still figuring it out. Um, but we've seen even recently, uh, this week, Elon Musk, um, you know, is now on the board, I guess, of Twitter, has a 9% share there. Hopefully, he'll have some influence. This idea of reforming what exists makes sense to me. It's intuitive to me. It's what can we do to reform uh, platforms like Facebook? What can we do to reform platforms like Twitter? How do we, how do we turn the ship around there? What does it take? Um, but with the new platforms and one like Getter, of course, this is not reformation. This is not reforming anything. This is saying the system is so broken, we have to start fresh. Can you give me your perspective on philosophically why you've chosen that versus uh, let's figure out how to fix you know, what's broken? And then what we as conservatives should do, like where should we be? Should we be everywhere or just pick one? Great question. So I fundamentally don't think that when we're talking about Twitter, Facebook, or the big tech social media platforms, that those patients can be saved. Mm-hmm. And I'm not one to bet against Elon Musk. He's obviously um, financially the most <laughs> right. successful man on the sure. planet. Sure. Look, he comes up with such big ideas, things that uh, that I couldn't fathom uh, mm-hmm. ever in a lifetime, and he figures out how to solve the equation in a matter of moments. So he's the, he's the big brain. He's successful. And I like what he's doing because whether or not he's successful, he's shining a big old bright light, a spotlight on the issues of free speech and all the the shortcomings of Twitter. So I like that. Here's the thing, though. Much in the same way that if you go and get a rental car, you go into a hotel room and a smoker has had it before you, how it doesn't matter how nice the room is or how nice the car is, it still reeks of cigarette smell. That's kind of the problem with Twitter. The brand is so fundamentally flawed and Mm. broken that I think Elon Musk may find that it's easier to land a rocket ship on Mars than it is to change (laughs) the culture within Twitter. Now, again, if anyone can do it, it's Elon Musk. But here's the other thing that I think is important to, to keep in mind. It's not enough just to go and tweak it around the edges. I think the litmus test for success for Musk is if he's able to get Donald Trump back on Twitter. If he's not able to get Trump back on Twitter, then he's not going to see a massive onboarding or a massive re-engagement from Trump-supporting people, which, of course, President Trump received uh, over 70 million, almost 75 million votes in this last presidential election, and he's likely positioned to run again in 2024. I think that's the benchmark, that if Musk can do that, I think he's going to be very successful. Uh, I think if he can't get Trump on, then I don't think it'll fundamentally change any of their user numbers. And keep in mind that they've really been grasping, maybe you could say it's coincidentally, since we came on the scene last summer, to introduce new features, to try to show that they have uh, things like spaces, that they have different community things that they're building. Uh, Whereas we're continuing to add live streaming, the short video clip format. Uh, We're starting to announce all these great shows that we're broadcasting on Getter Livestream. So it's not enough just to tinker with it. Musk has to get Trump back on Twitter. And I don't know if any human on the planet can pull that off. Yeah. So these patients are beyond saving. As conservatives, I guess maybe a two-part question. One, where should we be? Is it the be everywhere? And if we choose not to be, do we find ourselves in, um, you know, kind of the social media ghettos where we're speaking to each other, but we have lost our ability to influence others? 
Yeah, another great question. I say be everywhere. I never tell anyone to go and turn off their account to another platform. Uh, my belief is if we're good enough at Getter, if we have enough great conversation, if we have enough VIPs and all-stars, if our technology remains the best, people are going to come. And obviously, we're going to be out there aggressively promoting it. But uh, I'm very much a free market guy. Uh, if someone wants to um, someone wants to go to Twitter and be discriminated against every day, uh, be possibly <laughs> kicked off, or, or heaven forbid, read the comments uh, to almost anything right. on sure. Twitter, sure. Um, be my guest. Uh, you know, some people like to wake up on the wrong side of the bed every day. I don't. <laughs> uh, so, but that said, but again, I'm a free market guy. Yeah. Let people make their decision. That's my philosophy. I tell, I tell conservatives, be everywhere, uh, but where you're going to have the most fun, where you're going to want to spend your time, where you're going to want to be there, not just 30 seconds, but you know, yeah. seven, nine, 10, 15 minutes a day uh, at a minimum is we're starting to see those growth numbers um, in, in the time spent on the platform. Right. Uh, then I think Getter is where you're going to want to do it. I think one, you have a lot of great features. I think one of the best features is the feature where you can post on Getter and it goes directly to Twitter. <laughs> that allows me to be on Twitter without actually going to Twitter, which is nice. Um, how then, let me, let me phrase the question this way. How can people who are on Getter on this platform influence those who don't always uh, don't already ascribe to conservative values, and I think that's one of the things we have in that you know the marketplace of ideas on some of these other platforms. We can at least communicate with people that don't agree with us. How do we do that from the um, you know the forward operating base, if you will, of Getter? How do we influence others? So here's the thing: is that we're the way that we're growing and bringing people on from all ideological backgrounds, all countries, all geographic backgrounds. It's becoming more and more diverse, which is great. And one of the things to keep in mind is that we're actively recruiting people who don't even necessarily come from a different political perspective, but even people who come from a no political perspective. Mm. Uh, maybe they're just maybe they have an ideological underpinning. Maybe they have certain aspects of belief or their own belief system, but they don't wake up every day saying, I'm Republican or Democrat, or I'm Tory or I'm Labor, uh, or something like that with a political party affiliation. That's where we're trying to grow in particular. And I think also as our user base starts to become younger and younger, as our getter visions uh, starts to grow, I think that's going to change the dynamic as well and makes it not necessarily less ideological, but less partisan, less political. So people can feel like, hey, this is a good place to come and exchange ideas. Yeah, that's good. Um, I've heard you in the past talk about Section uh, 230 and some of the changes that need to be made there. Is is there value in Congress taking a look at that and amending that? Will that help anything? Will that change anything? And if so, what needs to happen there to protect platforms like YouTube, which, you know, a lot of people like me are, are there, of course. So to be clear, so Section 230 is a part of the Communications and Decency Act, which was written back in 96, uh, right, so well right. before we had sure. all this. And, and back then, it was really geared toward blogs. Uh, we all remember blogs. And in fact, you can make a case <laughs> that t- Twitter, Getter, uh, you know, any of these platforms are essentially microblogs, at sure. least in, in the, the most frequently used construct. But the purpose there was to protect the platforms. Uh, from being held liable for anything that was posted. So as long as they're not using their own editorializing, in the same way that, say, like a uh, a New York Times or a Washington Post or uh, any news or uh, fake news CNN, any of those types of outlets will go on and actually editorialize, and they're then responsible for what's broadcast on their airwaves or put on their pages of print. Platforms, whether it be Getter, Twitter, Facebook, anything else, are supposed to be held um, uh, are supposed to be um, essentially have an exemption on that. That's But here's what's happened, is that the platforms 
especially Twitter, Facebook, the Silicon Valley, social media oligarchs, the big tech guys have decided to come in and play winners and losers. I think mm. Section 230 has to be reformed to say if you want this privilege, and again, it's a privilege, it's a legal protection to make sure that you're not held liable for anything posted on your platform. If you want this privilege, then you cannot practice political discrimination right. in your moderation right. policies. I think, in my opinion, that's all that has to be changed. I'm right. not someone who supports completely getting rid of Section 230 uh, because I do think that the digital town square is really where all these great debates are going to be happening, but it has to be reformed. Uh, I'm skeptical, though, that anything's going to happen in the short term, uh, not just because, it's say, Democrats are there. I think even with Republicans, I'm skeptical. Uh, simply because you can never really count on Congress to do anything. Sure. <laughs> sure. Uh, and, and also, too, there's a. I do worry that Congress gets in there and starts tinkering. And, and look, uh, some of those octogenarians don't know the difference between a tweet and a truck. I get worried <laughs> they could take things in the wrong direction. Sure. Uh, I do think there'll probably be some antitrust issues that get brought up in the next Congress, uh, possibly even by the courts. Uh, but again, uh, the, sometimes the courts move slower than molasses. Mm. Uh, it could be next month they bring some of these things up. It could be 10 years from now. But right now we have the free market, and that's something we can't impact. Yeah, that's good. Uh, big thing coming up for us is the midterms. How do you see that unfolding? Yeah, so the two big midterm elections in my lifetime, 1994-2010, were both big, massive wipeouts for Republicans. Republicans actually trailed on the generic ballot heading into Election Day. Right now, Republicans have between a four and six point edge on Democrats in the generic ballot. So we could yeah. see not just the 40 or 50 seat swing to Republicans. We could see 70 or 80 seats. Well, it could be just a, a wholesale wipeout. Uh, that's very, very possible. The one dynamic I'd keep tabs on are Democrats' support levels from Hispanic and Latino Americans. Uh, right now, the bottom really seems to be falling out for Democrats uh, with their Hispanic and Latino American support levels, uh, not just because of the, the domestic policies for Biden that are terrible, sure, uh, sure. but also the fact that Democrats have embraced the anti-police, pro-BLM uh, type messaging that really, really has been like nails on the chalkboard uh, to the Hispanic and Latino American community. So continue to watch that as a, a benchmark uh, for where Democrats may uh, land this fall. In particular, uh, think about a state like Nevada, where there's a Senate seat that Republicans need to pick up uh, as part of their pathway to getting the majority. Uh, so that's where I'd, I'd kind of keep tabs on. That's good. As much as there is uh, in our world that is very negative, and there's a lot going on that's negative, um, there are certainly some positive, hopeful things as well. Um, again, I think technology, the way it is expanding and moving, is a positive development. And hopefully, we'll uh, we'll see Congress and and uh, our politicians start to represent us. That'd be a nice nice change of pace for a little while. Uh, Jason, thank you so much. Where other than Getter would people follow you or find you? So go to Getter, G-E-T-T-R. We're on the Google Play Store. We're on the Apple Store, G-E-T-T-R. You can go to Getter.com. I'm at Jason Miller in D.C., at Jason Miller in D.C. Come join Getter. Check us out. I promise you, you're going to be in a much better mood than any day on Twitter or Facebook. <laughs> awesome. Jason Miller, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Thank you. I appreciate Jason coming on with us today to break some of these issues down. And uh, that's one of the great things about Getter. At least right now, we have uh, access, and we've scheduled this, of course, and worked through it, but access to the CEO who is willing to come on and discuss these ideas. That's how much he cares about them. And uh, grateful that Jason would join us. Uh, so many great takeaways. And again, if you haven't spent time listening to the whole episode or you were doing something else while you were listening to the episode, I get it. I do the same thing. 
Go back and listen to it again. It's a relatively short conversation, but it's a helpful conversation. We talked about the purpose of Getter, what uh, Jason and his team's specific goals were going into this, what they hoped to accomplish. And really, it's very simple. To have a place where freedom of speech is protected, to have a platform and to have a forum where people can come together and share their ideas freely without the risk of being censored or pushed off because they don't agree with everyone else. And that is so important, particularly in this day and age where many of the conversations that we're having are conversations that are being had on platforms like this one. Uh, I remember when I was younger that these conversations, how you feel about things, were had face-to-face, person-to-person. Maybe they cause problems at your family gathering or something like that. But beyond that, beyond your circle, beyond the people that you knew and had access to, you really didn't have these discussions. Maybe you saw a political ad or maybe there was something on a documentary or on the news, mostly television driven or from the radio. But now we all have access to platforms that give us a voice and Getter's mission is to provide a place where your voice will be allowed to be heard. Uh, We talked about reformation versus recreation. This to me is a very important conversation because as I look at some of these other platforms, places that I am and have been, uh, you I'm sure have spent a lot of time, maybe years on some of these platforms. The question is, can we just reform those? Can we bring them back to a place where they're useful again, where censorship is not um, at least as evident as it is, if it even exists? Can we reform these platforms? We see people like Elon Musk uh, coming along and saying, hey, I can do something here. Now on the board of Twitter, we'll see what he can do, if anything. But the idea of reformation versus recreation, uh, Jason's answer to that was, I feel like we have a patient that can't be saved. And even trying to fix things around the edges does not really fix the main problem, the problem of preservation of free speech. And we'll see what happens with Elon Musk and Twitter. But this idea that instead of trying to reform what is broken, let's recreate uh, something new, something exciting, something accessible to everyone. And in the case of Getter, something with uh, so many features that you can really live your digital life on that platform. A great conversation. Uh, How can we influence others beyond Getter? If we decide this is where we're going to be, how can we influence others? Again, uh, the plan, Getter's plan, what they're trying to do is to bring in as many people as possible from different demographics, age-wise and background-wise and from countries around the world to really diversify the people that are on this platform, which gives us a voice with other people. Uh, We talked about Section 230 just a little bit. And then we ended with a discussion on the midterms. And all of these are such important conversations. Again, I hope that you'll spend some time listening to the answers. One of the great things about Jason, if you've heard any of his other other, um, interviews, he's interviewed a lot, you can find those. He's very, very clear and he's very succinct. (laughs) He knows what he's talking about. He's done this for a long time. Getter may be relatively new, but he's been at this for a long time. And he knows how to answer those questions. And uh, I'm thankful that uh, we were able to talk to him. Hopefully you are by now subscribed to this show. If you're not, make sure that you subscribe right now. Whatever podcast platform it is you are listening from, go ahead and subscribe. That lets you know when this content is pushed out. Three times a week we do shows. We have conversations just like this. Again, our goal is always to provide you with the information and perspectives you need to navigate an ever-changing culture. I hope that you are entertained with this show. 
But beyond entertainment, that's really not the main goal. Beyond entertainment, we want to give you the voices, the influences, the information, the experts that you need to make good decisions in your daily life. Things are happening so quickly and changing so often. We need to have the right information, the right perspectives. That's the goal of this. Make sure you are subscribed. And then once you have the opportunity to subscribe, and that opportunity is right now, you're pushing that button, you're subscribing right now. Uh, You can watch the video of this. So many videos, our archive, our podcast archive goes back over 100 episodes. You can find that on SalemNow.com, SalemNow.com. We're honored to be on the Salem Podcast Network. And on SalemNow.com, you'll find our show, many other shows, great content there. And uh, I know that you'll enjoy that. If you are looking for other podcasts, you can find that on the Salem Podcast platform as well. One thing I'd like to ask you to do that we haven't asked in the past is leave a review. Whatever podcast platform you're listening from, there is, I'm sure, a place for reviews, particularly on Apple. Uh, Of course, now Spotify allows uh, comments. Please leave comments and reviews. We would love to receive those and those help us as we do our best to get this information out to others. And as always, share this out. Uh, if you would like more information on me, I don't mention it often, but you can go to my website, jeremystallnicker.com, and you can find out more about me, other podcasts that I am involved in. My blog is there. Probably the most important thing there is my blog where I write weekly on topics that are important to me and uh, may be helpful to you as well. That's jeremystallnicker.com. Again, thank you for joining us today, and I look forward to talking to you next time we are together. We've had the privilege of serving more than 4,000 people through one of our week-long programs. There are a lot of other opportunities we have to speak to those men and women who have served, but uh, more than 4,000 have come through one of our programs, and so many have have found hope and healing and direction and purpose. And uh, I'd love to sit here and tell you their stories, but it's better if you can listen to their stories. So we wanted to share some of those with you now. So I'm Colin Schaefer. Uh, I live in Eugene, Oregon. That's where I was... uh race, I guess, not necessarily a farm, but that doesn't matter. Um, I uh, was in the United States Marine Corps for eight years, did four deployments, and now I'm a police officer in the town I grew up in. I've been doing that for, for three years now. So, I mean, what ultimately brought me to find Mighty Oaks was, you know, I listened to a bunch of veteran podcasts, and the founder of the organization was on one of them, and he was a force reconnaissance marine, so that kind of caught my attention. He'd been on a whole bunch of deployments, that kind of caught my attention. Just as a kind of a part of my upbringing a little bit, uh, sprinkled in a lot of the pretty regular things that guys who have been on three combat deployments experience. Um, I sort of developed a lot of personality traits, um, some holes in my character and in my judgment and decision making. Um, and so those things had significant impact. Um, I, not those things, I had a significant impact on, uh, my marriage, um, and did a lot of what I believe for a very long time, uh, a lot of what I believe to be like irreconcilable and irreversible damage. That wasn't the only relationship that suffered. I have four children. Uh, I always thought I was kind of the father that they should be. I'm I was very like stern, and I, taught, I was teaching them great lessons. Um, but the way I was teaching it, uh, there wasn't not a whole lot of love there. So yeah, a, a lot of that caused me to 
um, isolate myself. Uh, I was what I believe to be ruining my relationships at home. Um, and just because of kind of the way I felt about myself, I didn't think that there was anyone, because I didn't, I didn't talk to any of my friends that I was in the Marine Corps with. Um, <clears throat> I hadn't really been at the police department for very long uh, to really get to know anybody. There's a few guys, handful of guys. Um, uh, they always kind of felt like someone wasn't clicking, and it was me. It wasn't them. It was almost like I was afraid to, to connect, afraid to, to be transparent. Um, with anybody because of you know how my what I considered to be my transgressions against the people closest to me that I wouldn't really want people to get close to me then because I'd probably hurt them too and things just wouldn't go well and so being isolated spent a lot of time by myself thinking a lot of thoughts that were just unhealthy really low point in my life um, just arguing with my wife and she later found me in a, in a shed with a Glock in my hand and she did the only thing she probably could have and took it from me and slapped me and told me I was being an idiot. Um, which is exactly what I needed actually. Um, God works in mysterious ways. Because uh, it sobered me up. Made me, it made me realize like, you know what? I am. <laughs> and so, but from there she, in a lot of ways, I've, I've talked to her about this program before and she kept keep dropping hints like, hey, you know, you should finally fill that application out, you know, or, hey, I know you have a f vacation time, like, take it and go here. Um, and she kept telling me to, to come here. And what was, what was stopping me was uh, my stereotype, my preconceived notion of, of this, the veteran, the, the damaged good veteran that, that I just, because I'm a, obviously a different kind of veteran, so there's no way I could relate to those guys. Couldn't be further from the truth. Um, I obviously learned. Uh, I was also nervous. You know, I didn't like the stigma, stigma of PTSD or any sort of being labeled as broken and uh, anything like that. I just, I'm afraid to confront it, I suppose. But it's true that the, the toughest step and potentially the most courageous thing I've ever done was get on the plane and come here because I didn't have any other options after that couldn't leave I could never adequately describe my experience here it, I just I just know that I'm I'm definitely a, a new person I'm reborn and I'm equipped with with all the tools that I need to not to not just be the father that they could have had or the husband that they could have had or the man that I could have been um, but to be to be the man that better than than I ever could have been, better than the husband that than she could have ever imagined, uh, better than the father that they could ever imagine that they could have, and just leave a, a permanent legacy that is one that, you know, everyone, I would be proud of, you know, so that's really, that's really it. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn. 
deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.